Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you and to worship God alongside you today at WPC. I want to give uh, first give a, a really big thanks to all of you who were here yesterday uh, as we hosted the meeting of the Shenandoah Presbytery. We had, uh, I believe, close to 40 volunteers uh, from uh, the church to help with everything from greeting to registering to feeding uh, 150 commissioners uh, and, and just providing a, a place of welcome. Uh, it was a, a great experience and received so many uh, warm notes of thanks from colleagues in Presbytery about our, uh, the hospitality and, and generosity that we shared. Uh, so thank you for, for that. It was uh, a privilege and, and uh, a great experience to, to uh, play host for, for, that, uh, for our presbytery. Next week, I'm excited to begin a sermon series walking us through the epistle of James. And I've entitled it, A Working Faith. Besides having uh, the most awesome name in the Bible, James is one of the lesser known... <laughs> and lesser used New Testament books. But it's also arguably the most practical book in the Bible. It shows us how our Christian faith impacts us, impacts every area of our lives, from the words we speak to how we care for those in need. Our faith has something to say about how we do those things. Uh, and that's what the Epistle of James allows us to explore, and I'm really excited to do that uh, with you all for the month of September. But first, today, for our second lesson, we turn to the very end of John chapter 6. I think over the years, church folks have taken the 71 verses of the 6th chapter of John very, very seriously, because it's mostly about bread and eating. Church folks do food well. We learned this yesterday uh, for our, for our uh, meal that we provided for the presbytery. The chapter starts out with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then they cross the lake and Jesus teaches more about bread, saying that he himself is the bread of life, bread sent down from heaven. But our lesson today is just as much about the disciples' reactions as it is about Jesus' actual words about bread. So I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 6th chapter of John, beginning with the 56th verse. And we're actually going to, to verse 69, not 59. Listen for God's word. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
But among you are, there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe. And who was the one that would betray him? And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Myself being from the Midwest and having our first jobs out of school in the state of Indiana, Marie and I enjoy watching the show Parks and Recreation. It stars Leslie Nope, who is a town government employee with high political aspirations, along with her staff from the Parks and Recreation Department. In virtually every episode, Leslie would say or do something that many of you who work in the public sector know well. It creates a scandal. Everything from the location of a new park to what they would put in the town's time capsule would brew an uproar from the citizens of Pawnee, Indiana, and a new scandal would emerge. A scandal is an action or event that is deemed morally, culturally, or theologically wrong. And almost always, a scandal is met with outrage. All we need to do to see examples of a scandal is watch the news on any given day, where headline after headline shows the scandals happening that particular day. While it may not seem like one for us, uh, us 21st century Christians today, Jesus' words in our lesson this morning created a scandal. Now, for some time, Jesus has been doing some miraculous things, healing and feeding people, turning water into wine, and so on. These signs have drawn a large following, a crowd that seems to grow with every new sign and miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, crosses over the lake to Capernaum, and begins teaching that he, in fact, is the bread of life sent from the heavens by God, just as God did so long ago for their ancestors. But this is different. This is different from the manna God gave to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. The bread they ate nourished them for the day, but the bread Jesus offers will nourish them for eternity. There's a problem with this bread that Jesus offers, though. The bread is his very flesh and blood. He tells his followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and if they do so, he will abide in them. Jesus is speaking to a group of good Jewish folks. They couldn't eat meat unless it was butchered properly, separating out the blood in just the right prescribed way. Jesus' invitation here is scandalous. It's scandalous to the world around them. In fact, the early church was so misunderstood 
That when people overheard the, uh, the community, the Christian community, celebrating communion together, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you, the early church was actually accused of cannibalism. Jesus' invitation is scandalous. It's scandalous to his followers. But for more reason than this false accusation, Jesus invites followers to be fed, to be nourished only by him, not by any other power or trend. They say this teaching is difficult. It's a hard one to swallow. Sure, they ate the bread Jesus offered them when he fed the masses, but now as they're hearing the details... Like someone seeing the fine print after only just signing a contract, they're puzzled. They're perplexed. You can even say they're offended. Jesus calls them on it. He says, does this offend you? That word in Greek, offend, is skandalizo, from which we get the English word scandal. In other words here, Jesus asks, Does the gospel scandalize you? Rather than sugarcoat his message, he takes the scandal one step further. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, not only is this guy talking about uh, eating flesh and drinking blood, now he is essentially equating himself with God. The scandal has been set and the followers aren't sure what to do. John tells us that many walk away because the Gospels become too scandalous, too offensive. They were hoping for an easy fix, but what they got instead was an invitation to life eternal. John's first readers at the end of the first century knew that the ones who walked away took Jesus' words too literally, That his invitation to eat his flesh and drink his blood was a reference to communion, of Jesus giving himself, giving his own life for them. But they also know that this too was scandalous. Because as they were nourished by Christ's life, death, and resurrection, they would actually become more like Christ, humbling themselves sacrificing themselves, their gifts, even their lives for the sake of others. For them, this was a difficult teaching and a scandalous one. It is in this way that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For us 21st century Christians, I think we have a hard time seeing the difficulty, the scandal of Jesus' words. Those of us in the church are so familiar with communion, many of us have been partaking of it since we were children, that Jesus' invitation here to eat his flesh and drink his blood are comforting words, that they're not challenging. It's only when we reflect on what taking Jesus' own body and blood means for our lives that we pause and are challenged ourselves. We are challenged by Jesus' invitation to partake of him and become more like him. Because becoming more like Jesus, as much as we pretend it's not, stands in opposition to the world around us. 
Our world tries to tell us that we are in control. That we should be greedy with what we have. To find ways that we are holier than our own neighbor. Theologian Amy Howe reflects on this idea, saying that we, like the disciples, are offended by Jesus' words. Because we refer religion to God, she says. Similar to what the great theologian Karl Barth said before her. She reflects, we feel good about serving in the soup kitchen, but we refuse to forgive our pune mate for his addiction. We feel righteous when we teach Sunday school, but we are annoyed by the sounds of children in worship. We make religion about the rules because we can control the rules. We can amend books of order. We can use scripture to oppress. And we can punish the rule breakers much easier than compassion and forgiveness. And friends, Howe's reflection here is exactly what Jesus offers his followers when he says to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And in turn, this is why Jesus' words are scandalous today. Because we want to feel that we are in control. We want to keep things for ourselves rather than accept the invitation of Jesus' body and blood to grow more and more in him, to become more like Christ, growing in compassion, forgiveness, even sacrificing ourselves for others. Jesus' invitation extends to us, beckoning us to answer the question, Will we accept this invitation, like Peter and the twelve before us, to humble ourselves? Or will we, like the crowd, deem the teaching too scandalous to accept? Let's return to the text for a moment. The audience of John's gospel was a community of Jewish Christians who were actually thrown out of their synagogues because of their faith in Christ. So you can see how this message may actually serve as words of comfort to them. The crowd is outraged by the scandal of the gospel. They stick up their noses at it and turn away. But this Christian community responds like Peter to Jesus' invitation to him, saying, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But there's another key word in here that I think really spoke to John's original audience. When Jesus teaches, he says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. There's that word abide again, one of John's favorite words. He uses it often to talk about the relationship with Christ, what this looks like, and in turn, what discipleship looks like. Following Christ isn't about having the right beliefs on certain key issues, but rather it's about abiding in Christ, seeking to live and grow continually in him. This is why Jesus' invitation here is so crucial for John. Because being a disciple is about growing in Christ. To grow in Christ, we have to be nourished, fed only by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. When we do this, we know that Christ abides in us. Christ remains with us. It's a reminder that Christ stays with us in both the mountaintops and valleys. Christ abides with us in the best and worst of life's life's experiences. This was the comfort and the hope to John's first audience. 
And it was the comfort and hope found in the scandal of the gospel. And friends in Christ, this is our comfort and hope too. In the highs and lows of life, we can trust in the abiding presence of our Lord. A Lord who gave of himself fully for others. But this calling to follow our crucified and risen Lord is not an easy one. It's one that is considered scandalous to our culture and the world. In a world that pushes us to want more, Christ's abiding presence help us to generously give of ourselves to others. In a world that pushes us to judge others, Christ's abiding presence moves us to act with compassion and forgiveness to our neighbors. How can we ever live into this calling, this calling that is so at odds with the world? I think the key word again here is abide. Christ tells us that we abide in him and he in us when we eat and drink of him regularly. When we are fed and nourished by Christ's teaching, Christ's own life, death, and resurrection. This is something we experience at its fullest when we dine at the Lord's table together for communion. And this is why in the Presbyterian Church, we don't think of communion as a special occasion It's something that's regular, continual, something we should experience as often as possible because each time we dine at the Lord's table, we are brought closer together with one another and with Christ as he feeds us and allows us to grow more and more in him. It becomes part of our identity, the ones who are fed by God and brought closer to one another at his table. Friends, Jesus' invitation to sacrificial giving and compassion, being fed by him, isn't just a difficult teaching. It's a scandalous one in our world. But it's a crucial teaching. It's crucial to our identity as the people who follow our crucified and risen Lord. Friends, may we seek to always be fed by the life-giving love of Christ that in turn we might share this feast with a hungry and hurting world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.